Welcome to the next message from Encounter Church. For more information about our church, visit us online at EncounterPGH.com. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the message. All right. Hey, welcome, everybody. So glad that you're here this morning again. If I don't know you, know you haven't met you, I'm Jared. I'm the lead pastor. And um, Mike, nice to meet you. Uh, it's so good to be up here this morning. This is one of my favorite things to do every week. Um, today's sermon is titled, Make Me a Sandwich. Make Me a Sandwich. Um, every week, my wife, or every day, my wife makes me lunch. Um, and so I take my lunchbox, which is a Fallout-themed lunchbox. Have any of you ever heard of this video game? Uh, it's called Fallout. It's like a, a game where you get to go through a wasteland and it's crazy. But anyway, it's a role-playing game that I enjoy. And so I have a lunchbox that's themed around it. And I take it every day and I put it in the, uh, in the little refrigerator that we have in our office area. And then when lunchtime comes around, I pull it out and I open it up. And it's always a surprise because I don't know what's in it because my wife makes me lunch. And my coworkers have recently discovered that this is the case and they make fun of me for it. And, um, and actually, many of them are shocked that my wife makes me lunch every day because they say things like, what are we, in the 1940s here? Like, you know, because I think they, they conjure this idea. They wonder if I'm the kind of husband that's like, woman, make me a sandwich. Like, that's your job, right? That's, and that's not the case. But I think the idea is, is that because my wife makes me lunch every day, um, and they just, it's maybe their, their wives don't, or maybe they don't make lunch for their wives, whatever it might be. I think it conjures up these, these ideas of, of old-fashioned uh, relational concepts that sometimes are unhelpful and even harmful um, that we have seen. But here's the thing. In my relationship with my wife, it's actually not like that at all. It's not this, you know, old-fashioned sort of a, a thing. In fact, whenever I ask Heather about whether or not I can help with um, things like cooking dinner, she loves to cook dinner. And I said, do you want me to make dinner tonight? Or, you know, maybe I can plan a couple meals for the next week or whatever. She usually goes, no, I, I love to make dinner for my family. It's something that she loves to do. Um, and so here's, here's what I'm trying to say about this particularly, is that the value of our relationship between the husband and wife is not defined by the things that Heather does for me, right? So she doesn't, uh, I don't love her because she makes me sandwiches. Like I don't love her because she makes me food and she doesn't love me because I mow the lawn or because I wash the car or whatever those things are. And the reality is, is that we actually do the things that we do in the house, which is like cooking dinner, cleaning the house, paying bills, mowing the lawn, doing the laundry, making repairs around the house, washing the cars, doing dishes, taking the kids to sports, all of these things, we do them ultimately because we love each other and because we see the value of our relationship as a whole and what that value, what that relationship produces. Um, and so it's not based on transactions, right? It's not a, I do these things so that I get this, or if I don't do these things, then I have to protect myself against these things. And unfortunately, some relationships are built that way. And instead, we do them out of a place of love and a desire to honor each other. Um, now, this is a valuable lesson, I think, for any of us to, to learn about any relationship, whether it's like a husband or a dating relationship, husband-wife or a dating relationship, whether it's a relationship with your kids or maybe even friends, right, is that helping them understand 
that when we are in a relationship and understanding that when I'm with a person, that it's the, the reason I do anything nice or the things, how we interact with each other is not so that I can get something from that person, but it's actually the value or the goal is the, the person that I know and knowing them, right? This sounds like basic sort of things. But here's the thing is this is a real paradigm shift for many of us and how we see our relationship with God. Because I think whether or not we want to admit it, I think that so much of our mindset with how we relate to God is actually transactional. And what I mean by that is, is there was a book that I read years ago, one of my favorite books of all time, called Blue Like Jazz. Anybody ever heard of this book, Blue Like Jazz? Fantastic book, written by a guy named Donald Miller. I would encourage you to pick this book up to read it. Um, so what he says in this book is that for years, he felt like he was at odds with God, or he felt like, like he couldn't quite figure out how to relate to God. And so he had several metaphors for how he... Um, related to God. And I think that maybe it puts some language in, when I say like we have a transactional relationship with God, that maybe you'll identify with some of these ways. So the first way that he talked about how he related to God and how, how he had to change it was he thought of God as a slot machine, right? The idea of that, like when I pray or I go to church or, you know, do any kind of religious activity, it's kind of like a coin, right? A religious coin you put in the slot machine, and you're hoping that when you pull it down, that you're going to get the thing that you need, right? That's how he, he thought of God. So every time I throw a prayer up, it was kind of like the slot machine of, I'm hoping that I just did enough, and that, you know, I'll get lucky, and the stars will align, and my prayer will be answered, right? Maybe somebody in the room feels like that about God. Like, I just feel like when I pray, I don't get anything, or sometimes I do, and sometimes I don't, and I can't figure it out. Another metaphor that he used for the relationship with God was Santa Claus, right? And I think we're all adults in the room here. Okay, so the idea is, is that for Santa Claus, the concept of the song, like, you better watch out, you better not cry, right? Like, Santa's watching. And so all year long, what do you do as a parent? You're telling your kids, hey, you better not do that, because if you do, then you might not get presents, right? And sometimes we view God like that right? Like, I have to go to church, and I got to pray, I got to read my Bible, I got to be nice to people, because if I don't, then my prayers aren't going to get answered, and maybe I don't get the thing, right? So some of us in the room maybe feel that way about God, that again, it's transactional, that God only will do something if I do these things. The third was like an angry tyrant, like an old sort of dictator, right? And so in this case, it's not if I do these, I'll get. In this case, it's more of like I better do these things because if I don't, I'm going to get punished. Maybe somebody in the room feels like that about God. Like maybe you wouldn't, maybe you wouldn't like, like literally say that I have to do these things, but maybe deep inside there is a space in which that's the foundation of how you see God. Like I'm like for, for I, I can't tell you how over the over five years of our church's existence, a lot of people have come from church backgrounds where the way that they define their faith has been guilt. Guilt in that if if I don't do this thing, then I am not going to be forgiven. If I don't go to confession, then I will spend the rest of my life in purgatory. Or if I don't go to mass, or if I don't go and take communion, or if I don't give money to this, or whatever it might be, that something bad is going to happen in my life because God is angry with me. That's the angry tyrant. And I think the thing is, is that we, many of us, and myself included, I don't think anybody is ever really truly rid of this. 
Because we don't see God, right? It's hard for us to see him. And because he is this omnipotent, powerful being, it can be very easy for us to feel like when we don't, when things don't go well in our lives or things don't go the way we plan them to, or when we desperately want something and we ask God for it and it doesn't happen, that we can naturally feel like, well, maybe I did something wrong. Or maybe God's mad at me, right? But that's not what we see in Scripture. And all throughout Scripture, we actually see God condemn transactional faith, and instead he wants to encourage a relational faith. And so this is nothing new. Jesus dealt with it himself. 2,000 years ago, everywhere Jesus went, he was combating people who only cared about him because they wanted the magic show, right? And so Jesus combats this head on. And so here's what I would say to you today. If you are feeling dry in your faith, maybe you're feeling like you're at odds with God. Maybe if, like, if you were just honest with yourself and you're like, I just don't feel like God and I are on the same page, or I don't feel like, I feel like everywhere I go that things aren't right, or I don't know that God likes me. And, and, and if you're feeling like that's weird, this is not an uncommon thought for people. Because, it's, because they've never been told or they don't know any differently. But I'm here to tell you today that God loves you and that the way that we see him and the way we interact with him, transactionally or relationally, will change dramatically the way, that we, the way that we see our faith, but the way that we experience him and will have a dramatic effect on the way our life is lived and then how it goes forward. So what I want to do today is we're going to read from John chapter 6. And we're going to see what... God has to say to us about how he wants us to relate to him. So if you're feeling dry in your faith, if you're feeling like maybe you're at odds with God, I'm hoping that this will encourage you today. We're going to read in John 6, beginning in verse 22. If you guys would open your Bibles or if you have a, the, the smartphone, um, uh, the, the Bible app on your phone or your tablet. And if you don't have a Bible, we actually have free Bibles for you at the Connection Center. Please feel free to go ahead and grab one of those. But John chapter 6, it's in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. So that's where you'll find it. Chapter 6, verse 22, begin reading here, and it says this, The next day, the crowd that stayed on the other side of the sea there had, been, had seen only one boat. And they also saw that Jesus didn't get on that boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone off alone. So Jesus and the disciples had left. Some boats from Tiberias, which is a city, came near there where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. Let's pause for a second. So the context of this is that just before this passage, Jesus had fed the 5,000, right? Most of us are probably familiar with this passage of Scripture where there were 5,000 people, men, and then there was women and children there, and then there were only five bread and two fish. Most of us have probably heard this story. The disciples say, hey, send them away because we don't have enough food. And Jesus says, you feed them. And he goes, how? We don't have enough, have enough food or anything. We don't have enough money to buy food from Wendy's. And then Jesus says, well, give me what you have, which is just a little bit of bread and fish. And then Jesus multiplies it and feeds all of them. Well, that just happened. They were all full. They'd eaten. They'd seen this incredible miracle. And then Jesus and his disciples leave, and they go somewhere else. And now the crowd is wondering where they went. So we pick it up in verse 24. When the crowd saw that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into those boats that we just mentioned and went to Capernaum, which is a, like a lakeside town, looking for Jesus. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? And Jesus, always cutting right to the center of the problem, says, Truly I tell you, you are looking for me, 
not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. Now, essentially what's happening right here is Jesus is calling these out, these guys out. He's saying the only reason that you want to see me is not because you know who I am. Yes, you got fed a ton of food. Yes, I healed people. Yes, that is good, but I am the Messiah. All of those things point to who I am and what I'm here for, and the only reason you're here is because you want the magic show. You want me to be David Copperfield for you. You want me to be Chris Angel for you. You want me to just do things so that you're like the dance monkey dance. That's what they thought of Jesus. The idea here is that they're saying, Jesus, make me a sandwich. That's what they're doing. We only care about what you are showing us because it provides some value to me. And Jesus is going to them. Look what it says after this. He says, don't work for the food that, that perishes, but for the food that lasts for eternal life which the Son of Man will give you because God the Father has set his seal of approval on him. How much of our faith is based on a transaction that I pray, I read my Bible, I go to church, I serve on a team, I give money to the church. How much of that is based on an obligation or based on a feeling of I have to do it or it's rote or it's a, it's a routine that we have, not because we know the value of it, not because we want to get closer to God, but because we want him to fix our marriage, because we want him to bless our finances, because how much of our relationship with God is based in a transaction because that's what these people did. They were coming to him for what they could get from him. And here's the thing. Jesus was not saying that, that you know, the miracle of healing or that the food or that raising someone from the dead, or, or even the political alignment. This is the other thing. A lot of times the people only were following him because he thought that they, were, they thought that he was going to, to align better with him. It's kind of like how a lot of young people right now are, are flocking to Democratic candidates in our nation because they think that those individuals represent them, and so they align themselves with that person because they think their lifestyle will get better. Well, this is what happened with Jesus. Jesus was speaking against the Pharisees. He was speaking against the legalistic, bureaucratic part of their religion, right? And so a lot of people were following him, not because they wanted to have a savior of their soul, but because they thought that Jesus was going to be the one to lift them away from Roman oppression, right? They were going to lift them out of their own poverty, that they would be able to fight back and get blood from those who held them down. So a lot of people were following him because they were hungry and they were fed. A lot of people were, were coming because they were sick and they were getting healed. A lot of people were following him because they knew that there was a revolution evolution coming. But all of those things were not why Jesus was here. And all those things were good. Like they were good things. And Jesus spent a lot of time with the poor. And he did speak a lot of time against the, the, the legalistic nature of their religion. But everyone was missing the point. Don't work for the food that perishes. In other words, you, what's going to happen is, is that I'm going to heal you, but then you're going to need healed later from something else. Or I could give you food, but then you're going to be hungry again next week. Like if all you're here for is for the show, is for the, what I can give you for the production of it, you're missing the point. Instead, look for the food that lasts for eternal life. And so here's the central point of this entire message. If you're coming to Jesus and you're saying, Jesus, I need this thing. I want this thing. Jesus, make me a sandwich, in other words. Here's what Jesus would say to us. The big idea of today's message, write this down if you're taking notes. Jesus doesn't just want to feed us. 
He wants us to eat with him. Jesus wants us to eat with him. And this is what I would call transactional versus relational. The transaction relationship with Jesus is, I only pray when I need something. Or I only read my Bible when I feel guilty about something. Or I only go to church when I need something. Or when I feel lonely or whatever it is. But a relationship says, this is conversational. A relationship with God is a mutually beneficial thing. It's an interactive thing. It's something that allows us to to know who he is and to be known in, in that. Just like my relationship with my wife. Yeah, I do the dishes. Yeah, she cooks dinner. Yes, I mow the lawn. Yes, she does laundry. Whatever, those kinds of things. But the value of our relationship is not in the transactions. It's in what's produced because we love each other and because there is a, a person that I know deeply and knows me deeply. And I will never be alone. And no matter where I go, I know that I'm loved. The same thing happens with our God. When we know him and he knows us, I don't have to be afraid when I lose my job. I don't have to be afraid when my salary gets cut or when, I, um, you know, or, or when somebody is frustrated with me or, or when there's a political scandal that I don't know what's going to do and I feel like I'm, I'm a target. I understand all those things matter. But when you have a true relationship with God, it changes the way that you see things and you have a, a deeper sense of security. And so this is what Jesus says in verse 35. He says, I and the bread of life. No one who comes to me will ever be hungry, and no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. But as I told you, you've seen me, and yet you don't believe. In fact, later on, Jesus says something similar to them, and he starts talking about to this big crowd of people. He says to them, if you want to follow me, you got to take up your cross and deny yourself and follow me, right? In other words, he's saying, you don't, there's a limit, and at some point, you're not going to be a true follower because you're just here for the show. And what ends up happening is, is that the Bible actually says that a lot of people left. A lot of people just left. And he turned to his disciples and he said, are you guys going to leave too? And they said, where would we go? What's the difference between the disciples and the crowd? The crowd of people never understood who Jesus really was and never got beyond the surface. And if us in our relationship with God, if we come to church and you're just trying to get a fix on a Sunday morning, I promise you, you're always going to need a fix. You're always going to need it. But if you truly begin a relationship with Jesus and you begin to understand what that looks like and begin to interact with him, he begins to pour his grace into you and his mercy into you. He begins to put wisdom inside of you. He begins to show you things about your life. And now all of a sudden, that relationship starts to pour into every other area of your life. He's saying to us, he says, no one who comes to me will ever be hungry. There is something that he offers to us that we cannot find anywhere else. He continues in verse 47. Truly, I tell you, anyone who believes in me has eternal life. I am the bread of life, Jesus says. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. What is that? That's an Old Testament callback, okay? So when the Israelites were freed from Egypt, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, the Prince of Egypt concept, right? So the 10 plagues came, Pharaoh lets Moses and his people go, and they're in the wilderness, and now they have no food and no water. And the people are crying out, God, what are we going to eat? And so God sends them this stuff called manna. Manna was like, literally, manna means what is this? That's what, that's what the word for manna means. It's like, 
ah, what am I looking at? And the Bible describes it as this flaky substance, kind of like crackers, sort of, right, that was just a dew on the ground. And so imagine that for a second. You wake up in the morning, you stretch, oh, I feel good. You get out of your side of your tent, and you walk out into the little patches of grass that you see around the desert somehow. And on that, there are these little flaky substances called manna. In other words, what the heck is this? And they pick it up, and then they eat it. And for 40 years, 40 years, that's what they ate every day. In the morning, they had manna to eat. 40 years of this flaky cracker substance, okay? Now, Jesus is calling back to that. He's saying that the Israelites ate that manna every single day. And what happened to them? They still died, right? They still died. It doesn't matter how many things God provides for you every day of your life, you will still need more if it's not about the relationship. So what he says here is this is the bread that comes down from heaven so that anyone may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that comes down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And then he kind of points to the future. He says, the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. In other words, what he's saying is, is that I'm going to go to the cross and I'm going to give my body for humanity so that they can have a relationship with me, not a transaction with me. And when they have a relationship with me, I will provide them true bread and true living water, which is another passage that Jesus, you know, right? You know, he says, I will provide something that even when you don't have a paycheck, that even when you don't have a job, when you don't have a house, when you're being beaten up, when you're in prison, when you're divorced, when you, any of these situations happen, you will still be able to be at peace. You will know that you are a child of God. You will know that you are forgiven and full of grace and mercy and that your situation in life does not determine your value. Why? Because you are a child of the son of, of the king. You are a, a, a prince or a princess. That is what it means. And so instead of us going to Jesus, God, can you please like give me more money? Jesus, can you do this? And that's the fuel for why we come to him. When we truly sit with him in his house at his table, what happens is, is now he becomes like dad, right? It's like my son and my daughter who sit with me. And they, they know I love them, and they need something. They come and ask. And they don't wonder whether or not I'm still their dad or whether I care about them if the answer is no. There's a difference in that relationship. Jesus doesn't just want to feed us. He wants us to eat with him. And all throughout Scripture, there is this image that we see of the table, the banquet table. In fact, in Revelation, we see this, right? That in the, in the day of the Lord, when Jesus returns and he begins to, he, he completes his work, he makes all things right, he restores creation. The imagery is of a banquet table. If you ever watch shows like Game of Thrones or Lord of the Rings or any of these kinds of, of, of shows where there's a king and he's having a feast, what happens, right? There's a long table. And who gets to sit at that table? The children of the king, right? The ones who are royalty get to. And when you have a relationship with God, you become his son or his daughter. You get to sit at the table with the king. And Jesus is much more interested in us sitting at the table and talking about what happened in your day and talking about your fears for life and wondering about what is going to happen and who am I? And the king gets to sit there next to you and go, wow, that sounds really hard, but guess what I know is coming next week? A package is arriving for you. And you didn't even know it, right? Or he says, that's not who you are. I hear you're afraid because your friends are telling you you're this, but I know as, my, as your father, you're this instead. That's what happens at the table with the king. 
And so Jesus wants to, to do that. He says, come in, sit with me. Don't just go out to the, to the rock concert and then get your fix. What he wants you to do is say, come to my house and sit down at the table with me. He wants a relationship. He wants to welcome you into his family, which does have responsibilities and it does have like priorities and there are expectations, but it's not transactional anymore. We do it because we're his children. And ultimately what that does is it transforms us into a lifestyle. Once we recognize I'm a son of the king, or you're a daughter of the king, you carry yourself differently wherever you go. There's an authority because of who sends you. You know, there's a resource. I know my dad's the king. He has all the bank within the, in, in his castle. So if I ever run out of money, that I know that he will provide. That's what happens when you have a relationship with him rather than just a transaction. And we see this pattern throughout scripture. We're going to close here in a minute. Like, so for example, in the gospels, all four of them, we see Jesus saying what to, to people he's never met. He says, follow me. That's the crowd, right? Follow me. Come watch. Come and see. In fact, that's actually um, another part of what I thought about maybe preaching on this week, but decided here instead, where Jesus, um, John the Baptist sees Jesus and says, that's the, that's the one. That's the lamb of the, the world who's come to take away the sin of the, of the world, right? The lamb of God. And he sends them, and two of his disciples go, and they go, hey, hey, Rabbi, where are you going? And what does Jesus say to them? Come and see. Jesus invites the crowd in. So it wasn't that he didn't want to feed the crowd, but he didn't want the feeding to be the primary thing. He wanted to show them the sign that this feeding is, is that he is the king of kings, that he is the Lord of lords. So he says, come and see. But then in Matthew 11, he says, learn from me. He says, come all you who are weary, all you who are heavy laden, and take my yoke. Learn from me and you will find rest. Learn my ways. Right? That's stepping away from just the crowd to becoming a follower, someone who's learning, beginning a relationship, sitting down at the campfire and saying, I saw you do this, Jesus. Why did you do that? That's what he wants from us. Learn from him. And then in John 15, we see a deeper sense of the relationship. He says, remain in me, abide in me. Because he saw that there were people who were like in and out. People who were like, yeah, you know, I, I really, I see this all the time. People who, who, who love like the gospel, who see the life and the value of the gospel. And then they come and they're in it for a little while, but then life kind of gets busy. And they go back and they forget about it for a while. Jesus is saying, no, you can do nothing apart from me. Remain in me, abide in me. Like spend time with me, get to know me. And then we see in Luke chapter 10 and John 14, he sends them out, right? Two by two, he sends out the disciples all over to replicate, to show, hey, this is what it looks like, right? And then he says, do what I do. And then he says, guess what? You're gonna do even greater things than I do. The pattern here is that Jesus doesn't just wanna feed us. He doesn't just wanna welcome us to the table. He wants to eat with us, but then he wants us to bring others to the table. That's the entire point of the gospel, is that he says, you are now my son, but there's someone out there who needs to know he's my son too. Go get him, bring him in, welcome him to the table. And that only happens through the context of relationship. You cannot, no one will truly know the depth of what God provides for us, the value in the relationship of reading God's word so he can reveal himself to us, spending time in prayer and listening to the spirit of God speak to us. That doesn't happen in just transactional moments. And I realize this is a pretty vague 
like concept, right? This is like the Kung Fu master on top of the hill, right? Where it's like, teach me sensei. And what does he say? You have to just be, allow, you know, those weird, vague concepts. I understand that. But listen, this is why faith is a journey. You cannot get true life out of our Savior if the only times we ever come to him is because you need something or want something. That's not a relationship. But what he promises in his words literally are, if you come to me, those who believe, those who eat of my bread, those who drink of my water will have everlasting life. They will never be thirsty again. And I can promise you this. I can tell you from my own life. Look at me, guys. Listen, my own life no matter what's going on, no matter what kind of frustrations I have, no matter the difficulties that I have faced, the pain I have gone through, I am always at peace. I'm always loved. I know that my value is not determined about the size of my house or the car that I drive or even my relationship with my wife. I know who I am because in all things fade away, I know that the Savior of the world, the King of Kings, the one who was there in the beginning and will be there forever, loves me. And that provides a greater sense of of peace, a greater sense of identity, of value than I can get anywhere else. And that's what Jesus means when he says you'll never be hungry again or never be thirsty again. That when I spend time truly in a moment of prayer and he meets with me in that place, and I understand that they're like, but how do I get there? That's the daily push. That's the, that's the learning from other people in life groups. That's the, the you know, reading books and resources. That's the digging deep into understand what does it truly mean to, to read scripture and not just memorize it, but to ingest it. That's a process that happens in a relationship. Just like I learned to be a dad, just like I learned to be a husband, it's a process. That relationship changes everything. It changes everything. Would you pray with me? Jesus, thank you for calling out the things that we are so, so, um, it's like, it's the thing that we do as our default. It's so easy for us to put things into categories and to just kind of do the formula that is required, the minimum to get the results that we need. We do it at work. We do it with, you know, with, our, with some of our relationships. We, we do it in so many different spaces, because, especially in, in vague, nebulous areas. It's hard for us to, to know how to define what a relationship is with a God that we cannot see. But what I have experienced and what your word teaches is that within a relationship where we know you, where you know us, where we speak to you, but you speak back, when we receive from you and when we give to you, what happens in those spaces transforms us, it changes us, and we become so much better. But it's not just because of what we get out of it, but because of who we are and who you are. You are the king. God, I don't want to miss the signs like they did. They missed the signs and missed who you are. No, the signs are the things that you have done in our lives point to who you are, and we honor that. I want to know you more. I want to do the things. I want to go to church. I want to pray. I want to read the Bible. I want to attend life. I want to serve. I want to give. I want to do all the things that we talk about, not because I have to, but because I know their value, and I know who it makes me, and I know how it, how it pleases you. I just pray for every person in the room right now that if there's any individuals who have been struggling with the way that they view you as a slot machine or as a Santa Claus or as an angry tyrant or any number of other fallacies of, that I pray you would break those down right now and you would show that you are all about relationship and that you want to know us for who we are. 
that you want us to know you as the true king, the best relationship we could ever have. And God, I pray that you would put a hunger in our hearts every day now, that you would help us to see the activities of like the Bible and prayer differently now, that they would be now mechanisms to know you deeper rather than a transaction that we must do. Help us as we move from this place to to see opportunities to experience you in a beautiful sunset. When a song comes on the radio and it reminds us, just like we do with our boyfriends, our girlfriends, our husbands, wives, fiancés, our kids, all of those things, God. And help us even in our earthly relationships with our people around us to, to put into effort, to see them for who they are and to do the things to love them and honor them and to foster that relationship rather than transactional. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. If you call Encounter Church Home or if you'd like to partner with us to support the work that God is doing here, you can take advantage of our online giving option. Just go to EncounterGiving.com. Also, stay up to date with us throughout the week by following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at EncounterPGH. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.